Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. If you're jumping in with us this morning, welcome. I feel like there are a lot of you in the balcony right now. Are you guys good up there? Good? Okay. It's good to see you. I feel like I can actually see you now, which is fun. Um, you can't hide, I guess, which is kind of a bummer. I know I have some friends who are like, I like to sit in the balcony because then you can't see me. And I'm like, now I can. I can actually see people up there. It's amazing. Um, we're in uh, week two. We just kicked off last week this series that we're calling Body and Blood. Body and Blood. And what we're hoping to do, aiming to do in this series is take a more significant look at communion. And yes, that obviously includes the sacraments of communion. Uh, Maybe you take communion, you participate in communion because you are a believer, but you don't have, there's not a lot of significance there for you. You just kind of come and and you grab the bread and you grab the juice and then you sit down. You're not really sure what to do. And maybe the whole process just feels altogether a little cumbersome for you. And I hope that what we'll do in this series is put a little more breadth or a little more depth to our times in communion for you. Like, I hope we'll talk about that in the coming weeks, uh, but I also hope that we will just take communion more frequently. I, I mentioned last week that I think communion is this great opportunity where we have to just preach ourselves towards the table, or we get to worship our way towards the table, and then we, as uh, just normal, ordinary humans, get to just get out of your way. And we get to go, now it's about you meeting with Jesus. And that's the beauty of communion is that you don't need me. You don't need the worship team. You just get to come and you get to remember and participate in Christ's sacrifice for you. And and man, communion, it has this, we talked about this last week, that it has this multi-directional view as we take it. And that's, I hope we'll get into that in the next couple weeks here, but we get to actually not just remember what Christ has done as in in the past, but we get to experience him in our present and we get to long for our future hope that we have in him when he comes and he consummates the end of this age. And we get to anticipate and long for and get our hope stirred up towards that future day when Christ come back where everything is gonna be made right, beautiful, and perfect for forevermore. Amen? And so that is what we will get into in the next coming weeks. But I want to emphasize and what I want to start diving into today and probably spend some time in next week is this idea of not just the sacraments of communion, but a lifestyle of communion, a lifestyle of communing with Jesus, a lifestyle of union with him. The New Testament describes our relationship with Christ in a lot of ways, but the main way that we see it is we are in him. Not that we're aware of him, not that we know things about him, not that we uh, have just kind of this familiarity with who he is and his teachings and what he's done, but we would actually have this union, this, this togetherness with Jesus, where we get to do life and be with him, not just doing things repeatedly for him. And so that is what I want to emphasize and focus on today, because for as many people as I know maybe don't have a lot of context or maybe don't have a lot of understanding of the sacraments of communion, I think there's even more people that fill our churches today that aren't aware of this union that they get to walk in daily with Jesus. So it's not just confusion about this sacrament. It's this this fact that we are willing as the church of Jesus Christ in America today that we don't actually participate our life fully united with and immersed into him. And I think that is the most amazing and basic thing that fills the New Testament pages of your Bible. That we actually get to walk with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
We don't, we, don't just, we don't just have to sing to him every now and then. We don't just have to sit in church and learn about him every now and then. But we can't, like, like Brother Lawrence, this old school monk from back in the 1600s would talk about, where we just get to encounter Jesus while we do the dishes, while we're doing the ordinary and mundane parts of your life. Because there are ordinary, mundane parts of everybody's life, aren't there? Well, I don't know about you, but it's not just all adrenaline, all mountaintop moments all the time. There's just daily stuff that has to get done. And, and the offer that's on the table as we kind of explore this message today and into next week is we're going to look at the fact that I get to walk daily with him. Regardless of whatever monotony or boring things that I'm caught up in, I get to commune with, abide with, remain in Jesus. And that's amazing. And the reason that I know there are so many people that fill our churches that don't actually have this kind of faith is because I was one. I was one for just years. If I, if I can just admit that to you as your pastor, it just kind of feels really good to get that off my shoulders this morning. I just know there's so many of you that, that you either, you look at people, you watch people pray, you watch people interact with the scripture, and you go, yeah, I wish I had something like that. Like, I wish my walk with the Lord was as significant as they make it look like their walk with the Lord is. How many of you have felt that way before? And yet we're willing to just come in and pretend, like we just, we do this weird thing where we put this church mask on and we, and you know, how are you doing? I, uh, you know, praise the Lord, hallelujah, God bless you. I, you know, and everything's great. Everything's good. Everything's fine. But in, inside what we're wondering is we're going, is, is this real? Am I just missing out? Like, is everyone else drinking some Kool-Aid that I just haven't found yet? I, I just... I think I walked in my faith for years as a younger Christian. For those of you that don't know my upbringing, I didn't, I didn't grow up with this kind of tradition or pattern of church on the Sunday calendar every day. I didn't go from time to time with my grandma to a Catholic mass every now and then. So I was, I was familiar with the institution of church, but I wasn't familiar with Christ. I wasn't familiar with what it felt like to walk with him, to abide with him. And so after becoming a Christian sometime in high school, you know, I, I think there was a lot of my initial proclamation of faith that had a lot to do with a girl that's sitting right here. Well, I was like, she's a Christian. She hangs out in church. And so if I want to be with her, which I did mostly, then I'm going to be like, yeah, of course I'm on team Jesus, right? But then somewhere in that, God was just continually calling me to himself. And, and I remember sitting in this very room. I'd sit right up there, probably for the first several years, years went by. Well, I just, I would go, man, I, I can't pray like they pray. I don't, I don't hunger for the Bible like people talk about hungering for the Bible. And years went by and I just sort of had this, I, I had this great intellectual appreciation for my faith. Like I would learn and I would study and I think things were growing in me that whole time. But man, it just all together felt, it felt a little dull. And I think we've made church somehow an unsafe place to admit that our faith feels dull, that it's not vibrant. I'm not thriving. And so you get around a place where it seems like there's some buzz in the air and you go, am I just missing this? Am I just missing out? And all the while I would sit in this room and I would, there, I would see two things happen over those years that would go by in my life. The first thing is I would see older saints, older men and women who just had, like when they prayed, it, it didn't feel like the way I prayed. You've been around one of those people before where you just, you just listen to them pray and I'm like, man, there's, there's something in there that I don't have. That, that's, that's not coming from this manufactured, like, I need to say a prayer right now. That's coming from a well of joy that's just deep down in that person, 
right? And so like, I, I think this is one of the reasons why, why I love that and I think I will continue to as long as I'm alive, just seek that our church has a blend of younger believers with older believers. Because young people in the room, if you see some people like that, man, I'm, praise God for all the gray hair in this room. If you see some people who pray like you want to pray someday, if they read, if they like appreciate the Bible, like some people when they pray, man, or when they're talking, they're just like, they're just pulling verses out of nowhere. You know what I mean? It's just like, man, that, that scripture is just in them. And you see those people and you crave that. And I just think, man, we've, we've got to have the humility as younger people sometimes to go like, hey, can I just, can I buy you a cup of coffee? And can we just sit down and can we just talk about your relationship with the Lord? And in humility, just go, I just want to learn what you, like you clearly have walked in a way, talked with Jesus in a way that I, I need to have that in my life. And, and I think that, man, after years of going by in Christianity, growing up in faith and going like, man, I just, I see that in people. I see that people have this gear. They have this place where they go and it's so authentic and it's so genuine and it's so real. And man, you're telling me they've been doing this for like 50 years? And I would crave it and I would want it. But then the other thing that I would see is that I would see this relationship with with either Jesus himself or with God from the New Testament people who walked and talked with him and wrote some of this stuff down for us, where it's like, I don't get any sense that the Apostle John or the Apostle Paul had this like, okay, I did my 15 minute quiet time in the morning and then I went about the rest of my day. Like that's not in the Bible. You know that? Now listen, I'm not, I think quiet times are great. I think you should mark out a time, maybe even in the early morning parts of your day. You're like, Austin, nothing good happens before the sun comes up. And, and if that's your personality, I would just say, man, all right, find yourself a place when it's quiet. Find yourself a time when it's quiet and you can just give some time. 15 minutes will, if you mark the first part of your day with 15 minutes with the Lord, I promise you it'll affect the rest of your day. So I'm not against a quiet time. I am against the idea of you only having a quiet time. Because that's not biblical, where we just have this relationship where I just show up on Sundays and I pray when everyone else is praying, or I have this relationship with God where I, I, I read for 15 minutes in the morning, or I pray for 15 minutes in the morning, and, and then that's that, and I just go about the rest of my day. No, but what I do see all over the pages of the New Testament is this idea where, where everything they were doing was immersed into Christ. And they were always attentive to him. They were always looking for him. And they were always wondering how they could do the things that he was doing. And they would always, they would always sort of be aware of his presence. Jesus himself, I think, models this perfectly for us. Where even when there's times and opportunities for profound ministry in front of him, it says that Christ would retreat and he would get away to the mountaintops. Why? So he could pray. So he could be with the Lord. And I just, I, this is what I'm after in this series altogether. And we will talk about the sacrament of communion. But what I want to talk about for the next couple of weeks is this idea of, man, how do people, how do people, how do we, how do you, how do I crave just that one-on-one -on -one time where we're walking and talking and having a lifestyle of union with Christ? Because that goes so much further than just what we could ever accomplish on a Sunday morning. Because right? you're going to go out of here. This, is, this represents an hour and 15 minutes of your week. But there, you, have, you have every other hour of every other day to encounter him and to experience him and to hear from him and to do things that he's asking you to do so that you could bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? I don't think there's any other 
I don't think there's any better place that we could go in Scripture other than John 15 to see this idea kind of fleshed out for us. And so if you have your Bible, would you open it up to John 15 with me? We're going to read the first 11 verses that John writes down here. And I'll kind of explain this as we go, because I think there are some really good components of this passage that I don't want to miss as we read through it. John 15, starting in verse 1. If you don't have your Bible with you, it's going to be on the screen. Um, It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. This is Jesus speaking. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now, the first few verses of this passage, uh, there's a couple things that kind of strike me as maybe either like they don't belong or they just feel, they feel off to me. So the first thing is that he emphasizes, Jesus emphasizes that I am the true vine. He doesn't just say that I am the vine. He says, I am the true vine. And what Jesus is doing, I'm going to flip back to Isaiah for just a moment, but you can stay right where you are in your Bible. Um, what, what this would have burned, it would have seared into the Jewish people's mind that he was talking to in this moment is this refrain from Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5 um, says this. It says, let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it out of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and he hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. It did not yield the fruit that, it was, that was planted. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? So this is, this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And it's this prophetic word to show that Israel, God did everything for Israel. He had, he had made them this choice vineyard. He placed them in this choice vineyard. He gave them this fertile soil. He took out all the rocks, all the things that were in their way. He pushed back all the inhabitants of the promised land and he gave them this land. He gave them the system so that everything was set up for them to succeed. And Israel failed. And that failure, and when you see the analogy of the vine in the Old Testament, it's always talking about the nation of Israel, and it's always linked to the fact that they failed, that they never were able to walk in the obedience and generate the fruitfulness that God had intended for them from the beginning. And so when Jesus comes and he says, I am the true vine, he's saying, no, listen, you were meant to stir people's mind towards me towards me, towards Christ. It says, I am the true vine. And then in verse three, the other thing that doesn't seem to really fit in this passage, it says in verse three, it says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Jesus, I, I love it. He, he takes this moment where he reveals himself as the true vine. He says, Israel, you're not the true vine. I am the true vine. And he says, listen, already you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And the refreshment that would have been for Israel, who feels this burden of failure, that they couldn't carry out what God had intended for them. And Jesus says, but you're already clean. You're already clean because of what I've spoken to you. Okay, so what does that, what does that mean for you and I today? Because we're not the nation of Israel. It means that the, the primary thing that's keeping distance between you and God is your belief that he doesn't love you. You believe that you're so dirty that you couldn't draw yourself closer to God or that he certainly wouldn't want you to. How how many of you know the the thing that often distances us from our relationship where we're walking with, talking with, praying to the Lord is our own behavior. 
When we fail, when we mess up, we know the default tendency in our heart is to pull back and to run away from him. But Jesus' reminder right here is he reveals that, no, he is the true vine. He is the plan of salvation for all. He is the author and perfecter of your life and of your faith. And he says, and you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you already. So what's the invitation? Come, abide, remain. His invitation is always in. And you just have to remember because you are going to fail. Can I just, can we be honest about that in church? Like you're going to hear this message and you're going to be stirred up and you're going to be like just eagerly desiring to abide with Jesus. And you're going to walk out in some way this week and you're going to fail hard. And the tendency in that moment is for you to turn your back and distance yourself from God. And God, right now, what I'm reminding you before that failure. So this is, this is the moment right now where you write this sentence down three, for three days from you now, three hours from you now, maybe some of you. And you go, no, God's moving towards me. God's move is not distancing himself from me. It is me from him. God is constantly in pursuit. He's trying to draw me closer to him in his love. So starting in verse four again, he says, abide in me. Abide in me, remain in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. God starts to, Jesus starts to build out this vine analogy. And just, it's super practical for us to think about. Like, you know what kind of branch can't produce anything? Yet one that you cut off last year and then is now dead in your green bin somewhere, right? It's the vines that are going to be, remain attached. The vines that remain close to Jesus, those are the ones that are going to produce fruit. Those are the ones that are going to produce fruit. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. And so if anyone would reject this good news, if anyone would reject this invitation to abide with God, then, then this, is, this is pointing towards our ultimate punishment for those who reject Jesus and his gospel. If you, though, abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Do you feel the invitation? Do you feel the invitation? Come, remain, be fruitful. Rem- stay with me. Let me produce my fruitfulness in you. He says, by this, by this fruitfulness, my father is glorified that you may bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Remain or abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. There seems to me, for the believer, you have this invitation from Christ to remain in him. Jesus is saying, hey, come, come towards me and, and rest in me and I will create my fruit in you. And the twofold uh, like invitation or things that we should think about, I think, as the believer, when we read this passage of scripture, is going, okay, if I'm remaining with Christ, how am I going to know? Well, his fruitfulness is going to come out of me. His fruitfulness is going to start to be evident in my life. We're going to start to see things like his love his joy, his peace, his patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, all these things are going to start coming out of my life. That is how I know if I'm remaining close to Christ. But the other thing that I see is not just so that we would remain close to him so that we would uh, model and represent his character. But the other thing that I see in this is in John 11. The other reason that we would have to remain in Christ is so that his joy may be complete in me. 
That's what I'm talking about when I say I've watched these other believers, these other saints who have had a relationship with Jesus for 40, 50 years, and they just seem so darn peaceful. And they still have so much zeal for life that they just look and they just have this like, they have this joy deep, deep down in their heart, right? To quote the song. I got this joy, 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 right? You know. We just go, man, how do, I, how do I get that? How do I have this joy in me that's maybe began in me? How do I have it made complete in me? You remain. You remain close to him. And so that's why the invitation that we're doing over the next 21 days is for us to fast. And what I want to talk about today is how we're going to fast and how we're going to pray through the next 21 days. Because as we approach a fast, I think it's probably one of the easiest ways for us to slip into legalism but it's also probably one of the most profound ways for us to experience breakthrough in our walk with the Lord. And so it's this real line that we got to walk in, that we're not just doing things that we don't should on ourselves, right? You following that? Like we don't just like have all this shoulds come out of, oh, I really should be doing this. Or I really, oh, I could be doing more. We, we don't want to slip into this kind of legalistic approach, but we do want to have this breakthrough that happens in our flesh as we, as we kill our flesh and feed our spirit, right? And so... Um, I drew up this graphic this week and I told Steph, hey, help me out. I need to, need to be able to like visualize this a little bit. I think that, that you can, you can make this choice and we'll read about this in Galatians in just a sec. Actually, let's flip over that slide right now real quick, Jen. In Galatians chapter five, I told Steph a different order. So it's all in a different order, but this is how I actually want to do it now that we're doing it in lifetime. Um, so here's the kind of fruit that we're going to bear if we remain in Christ. In Galatians 5, these are Paul's words echoing back to John's words, Jesus' words out of John 15. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, if we're remaining in Christ, is going to be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now notice, this is not the fruits of the Spirit, as in I can pick one of these to work on. It's the fruit singular of the Spirit. And so what's going to happen is that as I remain in Christ, as a peach tree, a peach remains tethered to a branch, it's going to continue to grow as a fruit. And so if I'm remaining in Christ, what is going to happen? I, I'm going to yield things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These things are going to be a byproduct of my relationship with the Lord. But then as we keep reading in Galatians, in Galatians 6, Paul writes this. He says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Now, this makes sense to us. Hopefully it does. If you take like a watermelon seed and you plant, and, and watermelons, it feels like they take forever. It's like the worst uh, activity with your kids. Maybe the best to teach them patience. But like, I remember last year, we planted some tomatoes in our garden. And then my three-year-old was like, the next day, dad, where's the tomatoes? I want to eat some. I'm like, listen, we're going to be here all summer before any of those tomatoes come up, okay? But like, it's not a surprise that if I plant a watermelon seed, I would expect to reap at some point Brilliant, right? So Paul's just like echoing back this abiding language, this agricultural language from Jesus. And he's saying, hey, don't, don't be deceived. Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Right, so we have this kind of offer on the table. We can choose what we're going to sow into. And, and by choosing what we're going to sow into, we're choosing what we're going to reap. So now, Jen, go back to that other slide. Because if you're going to sow according to your flesh, now, now, like, hear me. I think you hear that word oftentimes when we think of like really wicked, evil things, 
sexual immorality, uh, other kinds of like idolatry, like wicked, dark things. But you can also sow to your flesh just by doing what you want. By continuing asking the question, hey, what's going to make me more comfortable? What are things that I want to do? So if I, I just continually am sowing into me, 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 well, you know what I'm going to get? I'm going to reap me, me, me. And eventually me, me, me is going to destroy myself because that's what sin does. That's what selfishness is going to do. So if I sow into my flesh, even with some good things, if I just make my life all about me and I sow according to me, you're going to eventually reap sin. And as you reap sin, that sin is going to give forth and it's going to produce destruction, which ultimately is going to bring forth death. So that's one option. It doesn't sound very good. But the next option then is, this is where a lot of Christians, I think, go, especially as we lay down the fact that it's like, hey, hey, we as a church are going to fast over the next 21 days. And we go, okay, I'm going to sow into this behavior. And this, please hear me. If you've been following Jesus for a long time, this is our tendency is to focus so hard on a behavior, modifying a behavior, I'm going to choose this thing that I'm going to do differently. So maybe, you know, holidays just went by and, and you know, scale's not showing up favorably for you right now. And you're kind of like, man, you know what? Uh, this is fast. Like, yeah, of course, of course. I look forward to growing in my relationship with the Lord. Obviously, also looking forward to shedding a few LBs, you know? And so what we do, right, it's January 1st. And so like, gyms are going to be full. We all have these like ideas of doing these behaviors. And what you do if you focus yourself wholly on a behavior is you will have short-term change. Like I, I believe that most of you are good enough, are disciplined enough to go like, I'm, you know what? I'm going to read my Bible in a year this year. And like, praise God, it, like I will be interceding on your behalf late this month, early February, when you start reading through Leviticus. And it starts to get tough. Because listen to me, if you just, if you're so fixated on changing a behavior, you, you will produce a short-term change. But eventually, because there's no inward transformation, because you didn't change at all, you're still the same you, just with a new habit this year, you're eventually going to fail. So if you just continually focus on the behavior that you're trying to change, you're eventually going to fail. And you're going to get burnt out and you're going to get exhausted. And I thought long and hard about it, whether that's the right word, because deconstruction right now is this loaded word in our culture. You have lots of people deconstructing your faith. I don't even know if you've heard of this yet, but I mean, it's, it's, it's paraded like it's this very positive thing, even though all of its roots are in, in critical theory and these really bad, bad places. And, and so deconstruction, what it looks like is, is the saying like, you know what, I tried that version of Christianity and it didn't work for me. I tried doing those things. And maybe some people have some legit uh, church hurts that stem from some really bad, bad legalistic teaching that came from the pulpit someday. And maybe people really do have deep wounds from, from the church. But ultimately, I think where most deconstruction comes from is people were so focused on a behavior, changing a behavior about themselves that they didn't really like, making themselves God in their own image. And they tried to change a behavior and maybe it worked for a little while, like through their adolescence, but then it created this long-term failure as they grow up and or as they're getting older and now they're deconstructing. And it's heartbreaking. I think oftentimes, every time, it comes from a very legitimate place of a wound or a hurt. But I just, I want to say, man, uh, it wasn't the love of God that you encountered if you're just deconstructing all of that away at this point. Because like we sang in that song, like, I just, I just want to be where you are. There's nothing like your love. And when you experience Christ and his gospel, knowing that, yes, you, you were in fact a sinner. You were in fact in rebellion to him. But God 
moved towards you, made you alive in Christ, Ephesians. Like, this is the invitation. This is the invitation, is to set our mind according to the Spirit. And as we seek to be walking with Jesus, as we focus on his gospel and his love for us, as we nourish the Spirit in us, that's going to create fruitfulness in us. That's what's going to create fruit. And that fruit is going to bring forth a transformation that's in us. And that transformation is going to give birth to renewal that we're participating in in the world around us. So here's, here's what's terrible about John 15. It's the line about pruning, isn't it? Oh, come on. We're not going to be real in church today? The hardest part about John 15 is reading about how, yeah, God's going to take the good branches and he's going to prune them to make them more fruitful. Uh, I'm, I'm, I am not this master gardener by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but we do have this grapevine uh, on our fence. And I think it has somehow gotten its roots so deep that it has connected itself, plugged itself into the canal that's in our backyard. Because I don't, I don't water that thing. Um, and it's just grown like insanely over the last several years that we've lived at our house. Like it has just taken over our back fence to the point where it's like, it's like pulling it down. Like it's like pulling the fence down. Um, and, and you know what the key to growing good grapes on a grapevine are? Pruning it. And pruning happens in two ways, right? I mean, I mean, some of you know this probably a lot better than I do. Uh, you prune things by cutting out what's dead. And so the imagery there for us in our relationship with Jesus is hopefully what we're doing is we're being intentional to, to use the Holy Spirit's conviction to bring forth places where we're going like, oh, okay, yeah, that's yielding no life. That's actually, that's dead in me still. That's the old nature. That's the old me. And God's bringing that up, convicting us so that we might cut it out of our life. So if you have this nagging behavior, if you have this nagging compulsion, and you feel convicted every time that you give yourself over to it. Even though you swear, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to look at that again. I'm never going to go back there and try that again. And then you do it again and you fail. Right? The, the, and then you have that shame that sets in, that guilt that sets in. And the invitation in that moment is to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, who is saying, yeah, there's nothing but death in that behavior. And the invitation is to cut it out and to leave it behind you. To repent is to actually walk the other way to leave it behind you. So that's one kind of pruning, cutting out things that are already dead, that are bringing forth more death. But the other invitation for pruning, this is the harder one, is cutting out things that are actually going well, right? If I were to really tend to our grape plant well, I would, I would go through it meticulously and I would, I would cut out all of the smaller cluster of grapes when they're really young and I would only let the vines nourish that which was like the biggest and already the most healthy. And so this, this is the invitation for us as believers, uh, the refiner's fire. Or why, why did that bad thing happen? Listen, I, I don't know why that bad thing happened, but maybe God is pruning some good part of your life so that you might walk more deeply with him and generate even more fruit that you're walking in. See, but we as Christians, especially in America, we don't like to talk about pruning. We just want everything to be up and to the right, up and to the right. You know what I mean? Like we just want everything to be going good all the time. And so we don't, we don't have a context or a bend to put pruning in. Where it's like, man, no, God is actually inviting you deeper in that trial. It's, it's, it's discipline in a way that a dad disciplines a kid, not to punish them, but to bring them into deeper and more significant life. I don't discipline my kids when they run out into the street because I'm mad at them. I do it because I love them. And I'm saying, no, that is a way to death. Come, come back this way right? And the more that we can continue to see God correctly, that it is his loving invitation out of his love to abide with him, then what we'll end up doing is we'll focus on transformation and renewal. Look at that. There's you. There's, that's you right there. And I'm just like, you get to pick which one you're going to focus on. 
You do. You have the choice. Are you going to keep sowing according to you? Are you going to sow into some sort of behavior and try and generate some different kind of outcome out of that behavior, even though you're weary, broke down, and exhausted about it? Or are you going to, in this next 21 days, focus your mind on the Spirit of God, focus your mind on the love of God, remain close to Him, draw near to Him, pray to Him, fast so that you might uh, be starved of your flesh, starved of this world, so that you might create a hunger in your life for more of Jesus. That's the invitation. That's the invitation. See, and, and every Christian, not, maybe not every Christian, so many Christians that are living in this world today, they're crying out for renewal to break across our land, right? Just like, come Lord Jesus, help this country out, help this nation out. Do you know where that primarily starts? Renewal? In you and in me. Going, God, prune the dead parts out of my heart. Prune the parts out of my heart that I'm focusing on, maybe that are good, but they're not the right thing right now in this season. Help me focus on what you want me to focus on. Help me remain close to you. Because so many people want to cry out for breakthrough or for renewal to fall on our land, and they don't want to do the inward looking of the Holy Spirit to go, God, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, in me. And if we as a church in this 21 days can focus our mind and our attention on that reality, that bottom line, then what happens is you start to realize the fruit of the Spirit, it's not even actually that much about you. I always read the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, and I'm like, yes, God, make me more loving, more joyful, more kind, more peaceful, more gentle. Please give me some more patience, especially in a few specific areas, right? I'm like, how, it would just, my, my life would be so much better in some areas if I could just be more patient with my kids, if I could be more patient with, with all the different areas in my life, right? And I, and I pray the fruit of the Spirit so selfishly when really what John 15 shows us is that the fruit is to show the world the character of God so that we might actually be witnesses. If we are willing to go through this refining process, then we're actually going to show and proclaim the character of God to the world around us. That's the invitation. And that's why in that last one, the last step is not you becoming so personally transformed that you're so holy and you're so awesome. No, the last step where that ends up going is your neighbor begins to see how awesome and how holy God is in you. Your coworker starts to recognize that, man, where does that patience come from? Well, it doesn't come from me. It comes from the fact that God has been so patient with me He's, he's endured so much from me and he loves me. And now all of a sudden I'm, I'm putting his character and his fruitfulness back into the world around me, back into the world around me. So what, is that, what does that then look like as we do this 21 days together? I think my, if that's the goal, if the goal is to remain in Christ, see him produce his character and his fruitfulness in me so that I would first of all be transformed, but so then I could witness and proclaim his glory to the world around me, if that's the goal, how do we do it? How do we do it? The first thing that we have to do is that we, and maybe, maybe you're just a guest today and you're like, oh my gosh, wait, what is this, a 21-day fast? Like, I, I missed this last week. If you missed it last week, I'm sorry. But we are starting as a church together, as a church family together, we are setting off on 21 days of fasting and prayer starting at sundown tonight. Now, I'm not telling you what your fast needs to look like, but what, it, what I've talked to a lot of you and what it looks like for a lot of people is, is liquids only for this 21 days. Daniel fast for 21 days. Um, saying no to social media for the next 21 days. Intermittent fasting off and on, different times of fasting over the next 21 days. Um, but, but the how, the how we're going to fast 
it doesn't matter necessarily as much what you fast, so long as you say no to something that is actually significant to you, right? You can't just say, well, listen, I'm not going to eat beets for the next 21 days. I, I don't even know if I've had a beet before, but the idea of a beet just like is nasty to me, you know? So like, I, so, oh, it was the basils right here. It was like, hey, kids, you can't just fast school for the next 21 days, right? Parents, adults, you can't just fast work for the next 21 days, right? We're going to fast something that our flesh craves, that our body loves. And so maybe it's sugar. Maybe, it's, maybe it is social media. Maybe that's creating a physiological response in you. And you are all of a sudden just grabbing your phone like, you know, 100 times a day. You're like, where? Oh, okay, okay. You know? But we're going to say no to something. But then it's not just, fasting is not just saying no. It's saying yes to more time and more of our appetite redirected towards Jesus. And so this is where I think the idea of fasting and prayer goes so hand in hand. And I just want to invite you as maybe someone who's uh, newer to your faith, maybe more nominal in your faith, maybe, maybe you're more complacent in your faith than you would like to admit. Breakthrough best happens, I think, when you fast and when you redirect that time towards prayer. And so for me, part of what this is going to look like is no lunch appointments for the next 21 days, but the next 21 days, I'm going to have lunch marked out every single day. And I'm just going to spend some time and I'm just going to seek the Lord. And so the, we're, we're going to host and we're going to facilitate times of prayer for the church, for you to drop in, come and worship and pray. And, and for the first week, you can kind of see it on the bottom here. What we wanted to do was hit everyone's different schedules. We have a lot of different stages of life, a lot of different people represented in our church. And so for the first week, it's going to be um, on the 11th and 13th, Tuesday and Thursday, from 6 to 7 a.m. in this room. Just drop in worship and prayer. The second week of the fast is going to be from noon to one. Again, Tuesday, Thursday, noon to one. The third week of the fast is going to be Tuesday, Thursday, from 5 to 6 p.m. So my encouragement for you is to just spend some time. Don't just say no to food. Say yes to time with Jesus. And, and hopefully what's going to happen is the most significant thing that happens for you in this fast is not anything that I say on a Sunday morning, but it's your quiet time with the Lord your time in your bed before you go to sleep and you're just going, Jesus, would you just speak with me? And, and, and for a lot of people, I think maybe your prayer life uh, is, is super simple and, and mundane right now. And here would be my challenge. Mark off some time in every single one of these next days. Maybe you used to pray in the car on your way to work and you don't have that anymore because you work remote. Everyone works at home now these days, right? Works at home. I know, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Maybe you can mark out a time where you just go, no, no, no. From this, this hour of the day, I'm just going to go for a walk. And, and Austin, what, do you, what should I pray? How, I don't even know really how to pray. Listen, just a, a good starting place, pray the scripture. Pray the scripture. Pray the Psalms. Uh, I, Glenn Packiam said this in this last couple weeks. I, I just saw a clip of it on Instagram. But he was, like, he was like, you know what you don't do when you get a Hallmark card? Is just like get a Hallmark card for somebody and like put it in an envelope and just give it to them. No, what do you do? You, you write a little something in it. So just, so just, Take Psalm 23, treat the Psalms like they're Hallmark cards. God's already written the, the, the nice little stuff down for you. David's already done most of the work for you. And you can just go, okay, Psalm 23, now the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Man, God, I'm so grateful that you have provided for me. See that? I, just, I took a scripture and I just put my own little signature on it. And now I'm just sending it back to the Lord. That's a great way to start. Pray the Psalms. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Get in little portions of scripture and just give it back to the Lord. And then don't just spend all of your time in prayer talking to God. Make sure you make time for him to talk to you. And you just go, okay, God, 
And maybe this is, you're not this charismatic and this is super weird for you, but maybe you just go, God, would you just share something with me? And you wait for just a, some random thought to come to mind. And if it's like a to-do list thing, man, just write it down and go back in. Wait, wait, a picture, a person, a scripture. Read it, pray for them. And you can make your prayer life this interactive time where you're actually feeling like, and you actually are communing with and talking with your King of Kings and Lord of Lords, your Savior. And that is the invitation that's for every single person in this room. Maybe we as a church would take this just kind of collective step forward over this next 21 days, starting sundown tonight, sundown on the, on, uh, the 31st, 30th, 31st, 30th, not 22 day fast, it's 21 day. But maybe we'd all just take one step in a little bit deeper water with the Lord, a little bit better at hearing his voice. The invitation's yours to participate in. Would you guys stand? We're going to pray. Jesus, we just ask that you would meet us in this endeavor, that we wouldn't do this uh, to sort of earn some sort of love from you, God. Would we start with the fact that you love us and would that draw us in initially? I pray that we wouldn't do it in a sense where we try and um, just say no to everything to really show how holy we are, but we would actually um, do what makes sense to just go, God, I, I want to prioritize time with you. I want to prioritize uh, some places in my life where I know I have physical cravings for this world and I want to hunger more for heaven. And God, that's, I pray that that wouldn't be something that is originating in any of us, but would it start with you and would you speak to us and would you prompt us and would you lead us and guide us over this next 21 days? And would we as a church remain in you? Would we remain in your love, remain close to you? And I pray, God, that as a result of this 21 days, remaining close to you and pursuing you and your presence, I pray that you would transform us from the inside out, that we would actually look like different people coming out of this 21 days, and that you would continue to use this church for your glory in this world that we're living in. And so, God, as we even walk out of here today, our minds are focused on you and your mission, that you are renewing this world piece by piece, day by day, and we want to participate with you wherever that's happening. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.